before I uh, get started with our sermon today, I just really want to say to everyone, make sure that you are fully engaging in being a part of the church. We have so many things going on. The best you can, don't just be a Sunday goer. This past Friday, uh, Deacon Frankie was teaching Bible study, and we have such a wonderful time in Bible study. Sometimes, after a sermon, people come and ask me a theological question about the sermon, and I'm like, not now, please. But in Bible study, that's where we chop it up. That's where there's interaction. That's where these questions uh, could be asked, where we have a different venue uh, for us to dialogue back and forth. Make sure you come out uh, for that. This past uh, Friday, we had uh, someone ask a question, and it was a very profound question. And Deacon Frankie said, how old are you? And the young man said, I'm eight. <laughs> And it was a really good question that we all needed to hear the answer to. Uh, besides that, make sure you come out the first uh, Saturday of every month. If you are a woman, the woman's brunch is awesome. The word of God is being taught. Uh, I, I'm usually here. I don't get to sit in in the brunch, but I, I go over the lesson with Brittany beforehand. If you think that she can sing, what a gifted Bible study teacher she is. M make sure you're coming out to these things. This is how we grow. And as Deacon Frankie also mentioned, uh, we have um, the couple seminar coming up this Saturday, invest in your marriage, invest in your relationship, come out, spend the time. Uh, maintenance of something is, is even more important than acquiring something because uh, if you don't maintain it, it doesn't function properly. So if you feel you have the best marriage in the world or your marriage needs work, which is probably more realistic for all of us, um, come out for that. And last, the choir that we're going to have on Wednesdays, 5 o'clock, from now till Palm Sunday, it's going to be a wonderful time. I've actually uh, cleared my schedule. This is my big opportunity to be able to sing. <laughs> I'm going to be part of it. Uh, a couple of other people told me they want to get involved. Come out this Wednesday at 5 o'clock. is going to be a wonderful time. Uh, so with that said, we are continuing in our series in Philippians, Be Encouraged. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And while um, you're turning there, uh, one of the things that uh, always disturbed me is when uh, a person would have expectations on someone else that they don't have on themselves. So 
Uh, I grew up uh, in the construction field. I was a union plumber in New York for 30 some odd years. And sitting in, uh, in the shanty with, with the guys, often you would hear different conversations. And, and sometimes the conversation would be about uh, who their daughter would marry and the requirements that they had on that young man that would come calling for their daughter. And the requirements they had were extremely high. And I would wait and let them lay out all of these requirements, and I would say to the dad, are you that guy? In, in other words, the expectation that we put on others are often higher than what we're even living out ourselves. And that is something that even Jesus addressed um, to the Pharisees about them putting demands on others that they themselves were not able to live out. That is not who God is. And in this text that we're going to be reading this morning is actually called the hymn of Christ. Um, scholars uh, believe that this passage was recorded, uh, that it was sung by the early church as a hymn. Um, this um, explanation that we're about to read is about Jesus' selfless humility. Uh, but then it also simultaneously explains the glorious majesty of Christ. It is actually one of the, the most important Christological passages in the New Testament because it speaks about the divine nature of Jesus, about his redemptive work, about his sovereignty and his authority. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Again, we're in Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 5 through 11, and I'm reading out of the CSB, and it reads this way. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he, humble, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Lord. We, we, we can see how the early church would have this as a hymn, 
as a song sung as an anthem, Lord, because it displays who you are. So in turn, it lets us know our position in you and who we are in you. Thank you for that, Lord. As we look to take and have the same attitude of Christ, unfold so much to us this morning. Give us our daily bread, Lord. Unstop ears, Lord. Give us hearts to perceive truth. Do a deep work in us this morning. We petition you for that. And we are thanking you in advance, knowing your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes what you send it to do. So we have expectation to receive this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we read in chapter 2, starting at verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. The message of last week and the weeks before that was Christ first um, and then others next. And, and we spoke about humility in these passages. And, and one of the reasons why it's, it's good to speak about humility because we know as people, we deal with the issue of pride. We, we all deal with the issue of pride. And all over the Bible, it speaks against pride. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16, 18 states, Pride goes before destruction and a hearty spirit before a fall. In Galatians 6, 3, it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. And Psalms 138.6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Pride is one of those things that rears his ugly head in many different ways ways. See, the thing about pride is it often is undetected. It's undetectable sometimes in our hearts, but it's one of those things that will kill you. It is actually, before we were saved, what kept us from the grace of God. And even for the believer, it can keep us at times outside of the will of God. When we think we don't struggle with pride, it's because it's hard to diagnose our own hearts. Pride is, is blinding. Pride infects our eyesight, causing us to view ourselves through a lens that colors and distorts reality. Pride will paint even our ugliest, our ugliness and sin as beautiful 
and commendable. That was said by Fabian Hartford. She went on in this article that I was reading to lay out seven ways that pride at times creeps in without us recognizing it. Sometimes it's in finding fault. Often what we will do is uh, when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves in a good light because we're very biased in our own favor. But then with others, we will see all kinds of error. Uh, that even happens sometimes in church. Like you could be hearing this sermon right now and be thinking, so-and-so really needs to hear that. <laughs> Bypassing yourself. Sometimes it's uh, with a harsh spirit, where we speak of other sin with contempt, with irritation, with frustration, and, and with judgment. Jonathan Edwards said this, Christians who are but fellow worms ought to at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them with. Sometimes pride creeps up in a superficial way. Uh, when, we, when we have pride um, in our hearts, we're more concerned with what others think uh, about me. So because of that, what we do is we will have things that... Uh, have other people look at us in a certain light or hold on to positions and, and do things that uh, big us up, and we have to be careful with that. We have great success in areas of holiness, but have highly visual, visible accountability, but less concern for the disciplines that happen in secret. In other words, we paint this picture of who we are and give our best self to the world, but we have certain things in our character, certain things that are happening in the dark that we don't expose and we don't want other people to, to look at. Pride also creeps up sometimes uh, when we are very much defensive. One of the things that church is for and our relationships with one another is sometimes to receive correction, so sometimes to receive rebuke. Uh, so often, someone will come and say something about what I preached, and it may have been something corrective, and, and they have more of a problem with what the Word of God says instead of them looking deep within. So if that happens at times in our lives by the word of God, imagine times we approach a brother or a sister and we get defensive and we get uh, where we can justify our actions or get upset about it. That's pride. Sometimes we show our pride and our presumption before God. Even in our prayer life, uh, the way we approach God in prayer. My parents used to tell me, you can say anything you want to me. Always remember who you're talking to. 
right? I just couldn't be flippant about how I would address my parents, although in their heart they wanted me to be transparent and come clean and talk to them even about my deepest problems. How we approach God, we always need to recognize he is God. Pride kicks, kicks in sometimes. Other times, pride can kick in where we're desperate for attention. Where we do all kind of things um, to draw attention to ourselves. That is certainly nothing for leaders in the church to do. I am here to point you to Christ. Matter of fact, there's a scripture right here for anyone that comes up here to preach. And it's from John 12, 21. And it says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. In other words, it's not about me or anyone else that gets here. No, what we do here is to glorify God. But that goes throughout every ministry and that goes throughout every Christian. Because what happens when it's either the world or even within ourselves, the good that is in us is because we have the Holy Spirit. Because in our flesh, there's, there's nothing good, there's nothing commendable, there's nothing right, there's nothing righteous. It's, it's about God. So when we draw attention to ourselves in other ways, that is prideful. And last, pride where at times we neglect others, where we prefer some people over other people. We will honor the things that the world would honor instead of the things that God would honor. So, so often we, we want to honor gifts and talents above character. Right? Those, are, those are ways that pride can come in. Just as my concealed pride once moved me toward death, so the acknowledgement of my own pride moves me towards life by causing me to cling more fiercely to the righteousness of Christ. Like these things in us need to be identified. And in what we just read, in the text that we read in Philippians chapter 2, the call is adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is our great example of humility. And, and, and these, this text that we just read speaks of Jesus' humility and Jesus' selflessness, but it also paints a picture of who Jesus truly is. Jesus is the great teacher of lowliness in heart. We need daily to learn from him, thinking that God came down into his creation and did all he did, even to the washing of his disciples' feet. That's humility. It says, have the same attitude as Christ towards one another, who existing in the form of God, 
did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, to something to be grasped. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Him being in the very nature God did not Consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The pre-incarnate Christ already possessed equality with the Father and resolved not to cling to it. Think about how we operate often. We fight. To hold on to position. Like once we obtain something, we want to keep it or continually be elevated from that point. We do the same thing with power. We do the same thing with influence over other people. Even our children, right, could be coming into a certain season in their life where they're becoming adults and we still try to hold on to a certain level of influence that no longer is healthy. We, we, we try to hold on to status so we are viewed a certain way in the eyes of others. That's not what Jesus did. The word grass translated in the Greek um, and this is the only place where it's used in the New Testament here. It, it speaks about plunder, a, a prize, uh, anything to be seized or greatly desired. He didn't cling to those things. It is used here to speak of the attitude of Christ toward the perfect will and redemptive plan of God the Father. Every privilege of deity belonged to Christ. Because he is God, yet he did not hold on to the glory of his deity. Christ, who had every reason to put his rights first, did not. He, he, he did not view his divine glory as something that he must hold on to at all costs. He didn't do that. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, imagine being born in the likeness of men. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is, this is God we're talking about. The one who existed in the form of God took on the form of a servant. The word here, taking, is, is Laban. It does not imply, and this is important, an exchange, but rather an addition. In, in, in other words, Jesus did not give up his deity and take on humanity. No, he is 100% God and he's 100% man. It's very important to understand because him being God, he, he could not cease being God. God cannot cease being God. He, he is 
God. And when he came, he came as God, but he took on the form of a lowly servant and a man. He, he was the God-man. Not God indwelling man. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as man. And not man being deified, looked at as if he was a God, but a combination of the personality of those two natures. He is 100% God and 100% man. It says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even the death on a cross. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Two, two things are mentioned here. It mentions Jesus' submissive nature to the Father and his sacrificial manner of death. We all have a date with death. We, we, we will leave this place. Unless Jesus comes back, we are going to die. You can work out all you want. I believe in working out. Take your vitamins. Eat right. You're still going to die. There's no getting around that. But um, death did not kill Jesus. He freely, willingly, voluntarily gave his life. It's a big difference. The religious leaders, the crowd shouting, none of that. The governor, the people, the soldiers, they did not take Jesus' life. He humbly himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Death on the cross was the most painful form of execution in the ancient world. For, for you to be hung or for you to be stoned was actually showing pity on you compared to what the crucifixion was. Often on the cross, you would be there for days. And you would die by suffocation when you could no longer hold yourself up to breathe in and out. And then your chest cavity would just collapse. And, and it was done intentionally. And only certain people would receive that type of death. Roman citizens could not be hung. Imagine. But the king of the universe, God himself went to the cross. As we consider how 
painful that was. Even the word, the Latin word that describe agony, which is excruciating, it came from that deed of being crucified on the cross. It was torture. The text goes on, and it takes the turn and says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That word highly exalted can be translated, it was a compound term of God super exalting him. God lifting him above everything else. God exalting him to the highest place, raising him to the position of supreme majesty. There was in compensation for Jesus and what he did. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not only that he lived this life in a lowly way and in hardship, but it contains the victory and that God's glory will ultimately prevail. Jesus came to save sinners. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said, if you, if anyone has seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus came to fulfill Scripture. What I'm about to read was written by David a thousand years before Christ came to the earth. And this is the heart of the Father for his people. This is true humility. And this is the word of the Lord. You can come up, worship team. Psalms 22, starting at verse 6, says, But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned. And despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth, and I have been, you have been my God from the moment I was born. Do not stay so far from me, for fear, for trouble is near, 
and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they've opened their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and my bones are, are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has died up, dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name by, your, by my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. Again, those were words penned by David a thousand years before Jesus came to earth in the form of a man. But this is a description of what took place on Calvary. Just to think how Jesus came, king of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, God eternal, would come on our behalf. I ask the leaders to come up. We're going to take communion in a few minutes and the ushers will direct you to each aisle to come up. And just remembering that communion is, is for the believer. And if you have not put your trust in Christ, we'd ask that you abstain for now. But the end of this service, we can pray together if God has done a work in your heart this day. H.B. Charles wrote an, an article about these verses, and, and it reads this way. In fact, there was a total reversal. Verse 6 says, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But verse 9 says that God highly exalted him. Verse 7 says that he made himself nothing but verse 9 says that God has given him the name that is above every name. 
Verse 7 says that he took the form of a servant. But verse 10 says, every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Verse 8 reads, says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Verse 11 says that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is no mere baby in a manger or great teacher or mighty prophet or miracle worker or religious martyr. We worship, save, serve, and trust the exalted Christ who is eternally worthy of an exclusive name, sovereign lordship, and universal worship. You can come, ushers. In John 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. God answered that prayer and highly exalted his son, Jesus Christ. And this only, this doesn't only speak of what took place then, but our present reality and our future reality. At this time, we're going to take communion. They will instruct you to come. If you um, have a trouble moving around, just raise your hands. They will bring um, a, some elements over to you, but you can start to come. Jesus, speaking to a crowd, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his body, you do not have life in yourself. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my body has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. As you... Receive the elements. Please be seated, and we will take communion together when I come back up. But as you are sitting there, let's just reflect on the goodness of God, all that he has done, what it means to be able to gather as his children at his table. Spend some time reflecting on the text we read, where you are with the Lord and all he has done. And I'll come back up in a minute.